and entertainment at its finest we got a special guest with us today but before we get you there make sure you follow us on all the social media pages at the jvaz show check out the website thejvazshow.com and make sure you subscribe to the youtube channel at the jvaz show where you can find the video portion of this interview and all of our other interviews as well all of those links are on the description of the podcast as i mentioned we got a special guest he's a writer producer he's produced on three feature films he's written nine books he's worked with houston's own mattress mac known around the world as an expert on james bond films yeah he's the one people go to when they got a question about james bond films steve rubin we'll be talking about how he got started in this industry we'll be talking about his love for james bond that is and much more on the J-Vash Show, baby, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go. Hit it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the J-Vash Show. And joining us now, he's a writer, producer. He has produced uh, three feature films, if I'm, if I'm correct. Three documentaries, nine books. And he's recognized around the world as an expert on James Bond films. And he was just telling us, he was giving us a little insight here a couple seconds ago. He's worked with Houston's own Mattress Mac. <laughs> Joining us, Steve Rubin. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be anywhere. <laughs> anywhere but sick, right? As long as, long as we're, as long as we're yeah. healthy and I, not I sick. Had, I had the pleasure of spending uh, 1992 in Houston. Um, we, um, we were working on a little film called Sidekicks. It starred Chuck Norris and a great cast, and it was financed by Mattress Mac. I, I had no idea who Mattress Mac was when I arrived, but I certainly knew who he was when I left. <laughs> yeah. Mattress Mac is our, um, sort of like the Houston superhero, man. That, that man helps yeah. a lot of people when, you know, Houston gets flooded a lot and a lot of, you know, things happen out here with, with people that don't have any resources and mattress Mac is, is he's the man people love him because he, he doesn't at one point, I think it was Katrina might've, I think it was Katrina. He let, he let people sleep in, in the furniture. In at stores. The stores. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We heard that in California. No, absolutely. Um, also he was one of the few people who invested in a movie and made money. You know, usually you don't hear that, you know, people put in, serious money in movies and they never see a dime but, but mattress was a very shrewd investor i called so, him mattress i mean mac it's funny because you know they were saying mattress mac mattress mac i didn't know what the heck they were talking about and i was in my hotel room one night and i turned on the tv and i saw one of his commercials and he indeed was wearing a mattress so obviously now i know who mattress mac was mattress mac oh yeah. that was back in 92 he was actually wearing a mattress he was. Yeah, wow. That was, that was so long ago. <laughs> the world is very different then, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So let's talk some Bond. Let's talk some Bond, man. So I, I, I guess 
let's get to the very beginning of everything. What sparked that love and that interest in creating these James Bond encyclopedias? Well, um, it goes all the way back. And when I was 12 years old, my dad would go on business trips and he'd bring back Westerns to read. And I had no interest in reading Westerns at all. I, I was watching a lot of Westerns on television, but I just didn't want to read about Westerns. But one day he walked into my room and plopped a paper book called Goldfinger on my desk. Now, I'm a 12-year-old kid. I'm a pretty conservative 12-year-old kid. There's a naked woman on the cover, <laughs> and my dad has given me this book to read. Now, she was tastefully uh, draped in gold paint, so, you know, she's, all her private parts were covered. And I'm looking at this book and saying, what the heck is this? So I started reading Goldfinger. Now, this is at a time, this is uh, at a time when the paperbacks were just starting to come out because what had happened was a kind of a correspondent had published John F. Kennedy's reading list. And on number nine on that list was From Russia With Love. Now, this, this was considered one of the great boons to book, book publishing at that time. People suddenly saw James Bond as an entity. And so by, by the time it got to 1964, about three years later, uh, people were aware of Bond much more, particularly in literary circles. And then that Christmas... Goldfinger was released. Now, the first two James Bond movies were called Dr. No and From Russia With Love, and they were released wide in the U.S., but they weren't given big fanfare. There was not a big premiere. It was, there was no internet in those days. There, just, there were some, probably a few commercials and things, and they did well. They were very well received, but they didn't get much uh, attention. When Goldfinger comes out in 64, it's like akin today to an Avengers movie or a Superman, you know, it was big, big deal. And I went with my parents to the Chinese theater in Hollywood, the Grauman's Chinese, the famous theater. We never went there, but for some reason, because it was Goldfinger, we went there. And I'll tell you, I was mesmerized. I mean, I was a 12-year-old boy. And when Q introduces that Aston Martin sports car with the modifications, I'm saying, I got to drive one. <laughs> and, oh, my God. And the women, my God, I, I think I was just about entering puberty. <laughs> I think I grew up one day. Uh, and, of course, the following year, 65, they, they were, you know, the new James Bond movie literally came out one year later. And just to give you some perspective, uh, this new James Bond movie they've been talking about that's been endlessly delayed, No Time to Die. It'll be six years since the last James Bond movie was released. That was in 2015. That was Spectre. So they were coming out regularly. So I was in the heat of uh, Bond fever. And um, I was a history student. You know, I liked history. I went to UCLA as an undergrad and studied history. I was a college reporter. And uh, I, I started writing books when I got out of college on, uh, of all things, World War II movies. I was really interested in the war film genre, and I got my first book published called Combat Films, American Realism, 1945 to 1970. But uh, I had a very small audience, you know? I, I, you know. I didn't reach out to thousands of people. And I said to myself, if I'm going to write about film, I might as well write about something that everybody knows. And at that time, in the mid-70s, no one had done a book on the behind-the-scenes world of James Bond, how the series had come about. And I guess I got Albert R. Broccoli on a good day. I went over to MGM and interviewed him, and he opened up the doors for me to go to London that year, summer of 77. And I went uh, and did all my research, and I had complete 
cooperation from Eon Productions. So my first book was called The James Bond Films, A Behind-the-Scenes History. And that was published in 82 and uh, updated again in 83. And, um, and then about 1990, uh, a company in Chicago called Contemporary Books, they called me up and said they had had success with a Marilyn Monroe encyclopedia and an Elvis Presley encyclopedia. They wanted if I could do Bond. And so the first edition came out in 90. I updated it in 95, 2003. And then just a couple weeks ago, I brought out the James Bond movie encyclopedia, fourth edition. Nice. Wow. That is, yeah. It's fun. You know, it's fun. It's fun because Bond never dies. You know, it's <laughs> like it's always in the ether. You know, it's like you're writing about an organic subject that has all kinds of fans from all kinds of generations. So I'm, I'm having a good time. Yeah, me personally, I, uh, I became a Bond fan, mm, I would say, with Pierce Brosnan. He was my first Bond, I guess you right. could say. He was my first Bond, you know, uh, which he, I don't, I don't remember all the, all the movies, but I remember, uh, what was it, what was it, Goldeneye? Goldeneye was his first. Goldeneye, yeah, and yeah, and uh, I remember my dad. He's the one who who um, <laughs> who gave who introduced me to Bond. And the the biggest things that I remember from Bond was the cars, the Aston Martins, and all the cool gadgets that uh, that he always had with him. And so uh, it must be pretty awesome to to be able to have access to certain things to create these. Un- uh, these uh, encyclopedias, right? Do you get do you get kind of like the behind the scenes, or you know, are you just kind of going out and and finding all this information, kind of public record, or how 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 do you go about getting this information to create these these encyclopedias? Well, it's uh, it's a two pronged thing, and the first of all is to update the information and get all the editorial information correct. And a lot of my mm-hmm. interviews going back to the seventies are still useful because a lot of those people gave me kind of key information on how the series was formed. And then I I pick up some of the interviews on the internet. You know, I start to collect some of the key key information that way. But the big challenge with this kind of book is indeed finding the photos because uh, you can't publish a James Bond encyclopedia without literally hundreds and hundreds of photos. And Mm -hmm. I conducted a worldwide search. I ended up, last year, I ended up going to uh, uh, France, Sweden, and England to uh, go to archives of private individuals who own the photos. If I went to United Artists and asked for one photo, they would probably charge me $300 for that one photo. Wow. So there's no way I'm going through the front door. So basically yeah. what I do is I go to the collectors <laughs> and I give them credit. You know, if, if Joe Doe gives me a photo, it's, it's credited to Joe Doe. And I get rare stuff that way. One of the guys in England uh, worked on the special effects crews for a lot of the movies. So I've got some really wonderful special effects shots. There's a great scene in uh, The Spy Who Loved Me when that giant super tanker is swallowing up nuclear submarines. And that's that, that tanker looked pretty big, but in reality, it was a miniature. It was only about wow. 20 feet long. But I've got some great shots showing that uh, being deployed out in the Bahamas. And then uh, some of the, the – there's a Pierce Bros. Actually, it wasn't a Pierce Bros. It was a Timothy Dalton film, uh, The Living Daylights, one of his two. And we, we showed the, they built a miniature bridge where they could blow up a Russian armored column off of. And I have that 
have some behind the scenes on that as well. So yeah, the photos are very, very important. And then I get contributions from people all over the world. Uh, we actually had a little controversy today because one of the photos that was published in the book was incorrectly captioned. So uh, it's, it's a funny story. I mean, there's a scene in uh, Dr. No, one of the scenes depicted in the still where Sean Connery, Ursula Andress, and uh, this person is standing there. And I at first thought it was Terrence Young, the director, but everybody said it was Jack Lord. So we've actually conducted a, a worldwide uh, Facebook thing today where we're trying to say, who is that? And I got authorities <laughs> from all over the place telling me that it's, un, uh, it's definitely Jack Lord. Although it looks nothing like Jack Lord. I didn't I, I think he doesn't look nothing like Jack Lord, but it's <laughs> but these fans are very, very demanding in terms of the information. If you're gonna write an encyclopedia and you're gonna post information on everything and everything, you better be right because they're gonna hammer you. Yes. And over um, the years I've had to deal with uh you know mistakes and things and so i'm very all my history training from school you know my interviewing and my history training just learning about facts and dates and specifics uh, I'm, i have it all kind of in my head and it's kind of there for uh these encyclopedias and i have fun putting it all together writing an encyclopedia is actually kind of fun because you you can decide what entries you want to put in the book you can have entries on villains and the girls on the gadgets on the locations and I also like to get into the backgrounds of all the actors so we know a little bit more than the fact they just appeared in a James Bond movie. You know, where did they come from? Who did they know? Who, who did they work with? And a lot of these guys, even the, the lesser known uh, supporting actors, had worked with each other on previous films and knew the director from previous incarnations. Nice. So me, um, I got introduced to, to, to James Bond, the whole 007. Um, well, I was born in Mexico. Let me start off there before it sounds like like crazy. I was born in Mexico, and my first introduction to any any James Bond was actually the video game in Nintendo sixty four, which was uh, Goldeneye. That's how I was introduced to to James Bond. And at the time, I didn't think there was a movie. I thought it was strictly just a video game. Now, the very first movie I was actually introduced to was Tomorrow Never Dies, and and then I realized, like, oh, shit, James Bond's actually a character. Like, this is, this is a movie. Like, it's not, just, it's not just a video game. So I say that to say this. Um, I'm, I'm not all that familiar with the older James Bond movies. So to, to have an, an encyclopedia and, you know, we were going, you send us the, um, the, the digital version, which, it, you know, we thank you for that. that, that that's, that's pretty cool to have. Um, and to see some of the information on there that, you know, like the cars that were used, you know, uh, the, the type of different gadgets and, you know, the actor's information, like you said, I really didn't know what to expect inside of the, the book itself. To, to be honest with you, I was like, I wonder what, you know, the encyclopedia, you know, has on there. So I did go to Amazon and I started looking at people's reviews. And like you said, a lot of a lot of these um, fans are very demanding and you can see on there how they they give you props on it, but there's always but he missed this, 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 and that. And <laughs> it's like, hardcover, man. Hardcover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So 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 you know, to comment on that, yeah, just reading on the comments, I got an idea of, of 
how the fan base reacts to to these little mistakes or whatnot. But what's like the biggest mistake that you've maybe um, that you've that you've had in one of these encyclopedias? You know, I think I've been pretty lucky, Julio. I think that uh, I um, I haven't really had anything like that. There's a few a few really minor things, like this photo caption that was incorrect, and uh, I think that um, I've been very fortunate because I'm I'm kind of when it comes to research, uh, I want I me being a fan, I want to know as much as possible, and I usually always go to the source if I can, you know, the actual person. So a lot of the interviews I originally did were with the actual people. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, but all of their interviews are available online now. So you can pull a piece of information off that coming from the horse's mouth. Uh, so I haven't really had... Um, uh, issues. It's funny because uh, two weeks ago, or actually a little longer now, it's almost a month, we did a trivia marathon where we got together the world's leading, uh, you know, contestants on the subject of James Bond. And I thought that it would last about two hours. We did it as a Zoom event from around the world. We had contestants from South Africa, Croatia, Russia, wow. and uh, all these places. And the, this this tournament lasted four and a half hours. The contestants were wow. so good that we could not stump them and we were running out of questions and i'll tell you i want a break i was uh, talking to my examiner saying well we got to use this question and then it, it was tough it was tough finally we crowned a champion the let's see the winning answer was from a um a pierce brosnan movie uh called the world is not enough and it's when uh the sophie marceau character walks into a casino her name is electra king and she says, uh, the question was, what game of chance does she play in the casino? And one of the contestants, the second runner-up, said blackjack, and he was wrong. And the winner said high card, and he was right and won the tournament. Wow. Wow, little details. Wow. See, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Like, the, going through the book yesterday and, and, and earlier today, it's like those little details that, that make a difference for a fan, you know? And... So, so let me ask you this. Compared to the reaction that you, you said the first edition was published in 1990? Correct. Uh, compared to that one, to, to your most recent one, which is the, the one that you sent us, I believe, what's the reaction has been or what's like the best reaction that you've gotten from, from, these, uh, from the first edition to the fourth edition? Fourth edition, you said, correct? Right. I think the big change is the use of color photography. You know, my original books up until now have all been black and white photo images, which is okay. But if you compare me to the the official James Bond books, which are loaded with color, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't competing well. Now I feel comfortable with the, the layout. Not only do we have color photography, but I was able to bring on some wonderful artists who I was able to use their artistic works where they, they make their own film posters and some beautiful pieces of art are in the book as well. So it's a, it's a little bit like a coffee table book now, although it's not as big in terms of size. And I think the publisher is very smart because they're able to sell more books when it's a little smaller. More of them fit on, uh, fit on a, uh, a bookstore shelves. Although the bookstore business right now, as we all know, is like, teetering because nobody's going to bookstores for the most part although i hope they're going at least a little bit they're mostly buying books online yeah so i i kind of have a question um from i guess from the first edition up to now 
what's kind of the biggest like it, it must be easier to to get information now that you're kind of in the internet age because you made the comment that you couldn't get it you couldn't um talk to pierce brosnan or um any of the other bonds but their interviews are online so how much harder was it back in the day to write this write in an encyclopedia like this than it was today you know in today's time oh it was much more difficult well going back to my first book which was the behind the scenes history all of that was based on original interviews conducted in england so uh i did over 30 interviews back then and uh <clears throat> now i don't really feel i need to talk to anybody because if you're important and you worked on a james bond movie you've already been interviewed <laughs> so yeah. i pull some of that stuff but i think that uh it's not only um pulling quotes but i think what's um what you're getting from me as this book is a just a great love of the james bond films and a kind of an objective viewpoint on all of them whereas the official books basically have to say how everything's wonderful i don't mind taking a little jab at one of some of the bond movies that weren't very good you know compared to others so i think the fans respect the fact that i have an opinion also i was really like i said able to to introduce some actors who perhaps aren't well known and are important actors in the in the world of bond because one of the hallmarks of the series has always been their casting they always cast really interesting actors in the lesser parts and i try to bring those out in the book so we know a little bit about somebody like cease linder cease linder was a canadian actor his his real name is cecil he was uh, gone went by cease he played felix Leiter in goldfinger and uh, he's an interesting guy and he told some funny stories about filming at, in florida at the fountain blue hotel and i love the little behind the scenes stories that they tell it kind of dimensionalizes the whole film experience so, so let me ask you this, Steve, and I meant to, I mean, I meant to ask you this um, earlier, but as far as, as, as far as, as, as books, is, is this the only, is this the only um, books that you've written like James Bond or, or do you have other work besides James Bond? Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually, um, well, first of all, my day job is I'm out there every day trying to sell films and TV series. I'm a working writer, producer in Hollywood. As you mentioned at the opening, I've done three features. Uh, my Showtime film, Bleacher Bums, based on the play, which is about the fans who follow the Chicago Cubs. That was released in 2002 and uh, did very well on the network. And then we did a World War II drama that year called Silent Night which was starred Linda Hamilton from the Terminator movies. And Linda played a German civilian who invited both German and American combat troops into her cabin on Christmas Eve during the Battle of the Bulge. True story. And held a truce for 12 hours. And we were nominated for four Canadian TV Academy Awards. I'm very proud of that film. It's called Silent Night. And then I did a teen dramedy in 2009, uh, which my friend David Lee Miller wrote and directed. It's called uh, My Suicide. It's uh, about a kid, you know, who announces he's going to film his own suicide in his video class and what happens. It's a story of how teenagers deal with uh, the perspective of suicide. And it, it's such a hopeful movie that we have received uh, anecdotal letters from suicidal teenagers who watched our movie and came back to the good side and didn't commit suicide. So it's, wow. it's, a, it's an important film. Um, we actually won the Berlin Film Festival in 2009 in our That's class. Awesome. So yeah, thank you. And then um, 
But um, before I wrote the James Bond Encyclopedia, this latest edition for the same publisher, I wrote the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia, the original black and white TV series. And I, I got very friendly with Carol Serling, Rod Serling's widow, and she opened uh, the, the drawers to the filing cabinets for me on that project as well. And I sat down and watched all 156 episodes of the Twilight Zone in order. Oh. And I'll tell you, uh, after watching those episodes, you realize it was probably the greatest television series in terms of quality ever produced. Wow. And see, and the reason I was asking this, because I, and, and I'm glad you told us everything that, that you've worked with, not just books, but seeing that the encyclopedia that you sent us is like 420 pages long, the, the reason I asked if you worked on anything else, like, how long did it take you to put this book together? Being that you do have, you know, all these other projects going on and, you know, and God knows what else you had going on at the moment, but how long did it take you to put all this information? And, and it's so well put, you know, that, that it just feels like it would have took years, but, but how long did it take you to, to, to put this together? I'd say about two years because I had to update literally every entry in the book. I, I mean, it wasn't just a question of writing down if somebody had died, what their death date was. It was a question of, uh, since the publisher with my Twilight Zone encyclopedia liked the idea of telling more about the individual actors and their backgrounds and some of their credits, I literally had to do uh, a background on probably over 300 actors in the series, in the book. So everything had to be updated and made contemporary. Uh, I tried to augment uh, entries wherever I could. So that took about a year. And then I started to gather the photos and that took another year, uh, just gathering photos from all over the place and not only gathering them, but um, organizing them, captioning them, digitizing them. It's a very, very challenging piece. And uh, uh, Chicago Review Press that's published this book has done very done a really nice job of putting it all together. I'm very proud of the way the book looks because you never know what you're going to end up seeing. They say it's turning out great, and then you see the book, and this turned out great. Nice. By the way, I, ha I did my first children's book, by the way. It's out there in the stores right now. It's an interesting concept. I wrote it with my friend David Lee Miller. It's called The Cat Who Lived with Anne Frank. And it's all the story about the attic in Amsterdam with those two Jewish families, but it's told from the point of view of Mushi, the cat that lived in the attic. And there really was a cat in the attic, and Anne writes about it in her famous diary. And that book came out in the um, uh, beginning of last year. Oh, nice. Wow, nice. nice. Yeah, nice. that's congratulations. That, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's and then also I wanted to compliment on the fact that he's gotta feel good. Um, before we come back to the to the children's book, but I, I didn't get to, to say this. When you mentioned you guys wrote, um, put put together the movie that the the suicide. What was it called again? Uh, My suicide. It's My on. Suicide. It's, on, it's on Netflix right now. Anybody can access it on Netflix. I'm gonna check that out. Actually, yeah. That's matter of fact. Let me write that down. But it's got to be a good feeling to know that your work had a great, like a positive impact out there. Like you said, people reaching out and letting you know that it, it took them out of that dark side. And it's got to be a good feeling to, to know that you're not just, you know, a lot of people just do this for themselves or whatnot, but the fact that you did it and it changed somebody's life and, and maybe gave them more years than, you know, sadly they would have been able to live because whatever they were going through, how does that feel to get that kind of feedback? 
Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. There's a scene in, um, in my suicide where David Carradine, before he passed away, we had, we had the blessing of having David Carradine in the piece and he's sitting there with this suicidal boy. And he said something that I thought was so telling. And I don't know if it'll, it'll, it'll come over exactly the way it did in the movie, but he basically said that you should kill yourself, but kill the side of yourself that you don't like and wake up alive wow. the next morning. You know, there's, everybody has that dark side, but you've got to exercise, exercise that part of yourself. And I thought that was very telling because these young people who have no hope, who are in pain, feel that the only way to end it is to just get, get dab their life over, not realizing that there is help that could come their way if they just stay, take a stand. And it was a very, the character's name in the movie is Archie, and he learns something from, from this guru. You know, David plays a guru. And uh, I thought that was great. We, we, when we first started that project, we went to the world's leading authority on suicide prevention. In fact, if you work in the world of suicide prevention, you win the Schneidman Prize every year. And we met Dr. Schneidman. And he actually read our script at the time and thought it was the most unique concept for an anti-suicide movie. And wow. uh, that was very important for us. And then when we started to make the movie, the movie actually started out as a documentary, but everybody kept telling us that the concept was so vital and new that we should make it a narrative motion picture. And it was very carefully produced, but it took forever to make. We were in post-production for four years. So wow. every, every image of the movie was manipulated very carefully uh, either with animation or live action. And um, it's funny because it's a very frenetic movie when you start watching it. Uh, it was edited by the young actor who played the lead. And uh, it's one of those movies that there's just uh, a lot going on. And we think that adults might have been freaked out by the whole process. But the kids, the kids love it because it has that energy. So uh, that carries on throughout the movie. And... Uh, we had some wonderful actors. We had um, Joe Montaigne, the actor you know, from television, Criminal Minds. He played an Indian guru. He was very funny. And we had uh, Marielle Hemingway, uh, you know, the uh, granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, and uh, really a wonderful cast. Nice, nice. Yeah, like I said, I wanted to compliment you on that. And, and, and again, glad you mentioned that it was on Netflix. I, I wrote it down on my notes over here so I can, you know, watch it one of these days. Um, so getting back into Bond. Who was your favorite James Bond or who has been your favorite James Bond? Well, the, the, it's, it's kind of a rule of thumb that you love the Bond. Your favorite Bond is the one you grow up with. So, you know, just, just like Christopher said that he was Pierce Brosnan was his first Bond. My first Bond was Sean Connery because I saw, you know, Goldfinger. And, uh, but I have to say this about the Daniel Craig Bond movies, the last four of which uh, have been released. He's terrific. He brings kind of a gritty, edgy, kind of thuggish bond to the, you know, he's not the guy with the champagne and the, the Roger Moore, you know, three-piece suit. I mean, this is a guy who's out there in the boonies getting his hair must. And I love that about him. And even in his movies, and not all of them have been terrific, but even in the movies that I don't think are so great, he's always great. So, yeah, he's a great, he's a great bond. Yeah. Now that I got yeah. that out of you, who was your least favorite and who would you have replaced him with? 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, Roger Moore is kind of a yin-yang thing for me because I know how successful Roger Moore's films were. He's the one who really interested, interested a new generation after the Connery films. And the films became bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, The Spy Who Loved Me, which was released in the year of Star Wars, 1977, was a huge hit. And uh, it spawned Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy. These are all big, big studio hits. So Roger's uh, position in the series was terrific. He just was a little too funny for me. I, I think that the, the, the whole idea of having a secret agent who, who just uh, sometimes... I won't say he was goofy, but he was kind of borderline. There's a scene in his last movie, which I thought was the worst of the lot, A, a View to a Kill, uh, where he's being chased uh, or he's chasing somebody in San Francisco and on a hook and ladder truck or he's on the hook and ladder truck. And I could see that in one of those Keystone Cop movies from the 20s, you know, that that kind of level of humor. Also, the opening title sequence where they're skiing in uh, – in, in the snow, you know, they're doing the whole ski thing. They have this Beach Boy soundtrack on it. Just a little too glib, a little too fun for Bond. I mean, you show the difference between A View to a Kill and Casino Royale, the first Daniel Craig. It's like night and day. Also, the Bond movies today have tremendous competition. I mean, think about the Mission Impossible movies, the Bourne movies. Even the Fast and the Furious car chase movies with what they do with cars, I mean, it's just crazy. And then you've got this Kingsman series with all their kind of creativity. So they're fighting, and all those superhero movies, when people throw punches in superhero movies, the guy flies through three walls. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can't, you can't, you know, with all due respect, I did not think the last Bond movie, Spectre, was very good because their car chase was just kind of anemic. You know, it was just not as basic. It was basic. You know, yeah. and, you know, if you're going to have a car chase in a Bond movie, you got to knock my socks off. I mean, yeah. the, man, the man with the golden gun, James Bond, Roger Moore's bids was chasing the bad guy, Scaramanga. He does a 360 jump over a canal. I mean, the car literally flips in the air 360 and lands on all four tires. That was very cool, although they kind of ruined it with a sound effect, you know, kind of a, <laughs> a, a, a slide whistle. <laughs> that kind of brings me to my next question. How do you think, do you think that Bond is the influence for all these other movies that you named, like The Fast and the Furious and The uh, the Missions Impossibles, uh, The Kingsman, which... I. I honestly really love the Kingsman. And I, I think Sean Connery made an appearance in that movie, didn't he? The Kingsman? No, in no. In the very but, first one, no? No, but... Uh, okay. But no, but, it's funny because Sean was considered, all they didn't put him in Skyfall. At the end of Skyfall, yeah. one with Raul, uh, with uh, Javier Bardem, they, the, Albert Finney ended up taking the part as, of the of the gameskeeper on the uh, estate Skyfall, but it uh, wasn't going to be Sean. Um, uh, go, go on with your question. I'm sorry. But yeah, do you think that these other movies, do you think that Bond was kind of the, the, the first movie to, uh, I guess, help these other movies come into play? You, you know what I mean? So if it wasn't for Bond, we wouldn't have, uh, Mission Impossible. If it wasn't for Bond, we wouldn't have the Fast and the Furious car chase scenes. 
You know, how much do you think those influence these other movies? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, starting with American television in the 60s, I mm. mean, when, when the first James Bond movies really kicked it with Goldfinger and Thunderball, you had shows like The Man from Uncle, Get Smart, which was comedy, and Mission Impossible, heavily influenced by Bond. So a lot of these, these um, you know, the Bourne novels, I'm sure uh, Robert Ludlum, who wrote, writes those Bourne novels, was influenced by Ian Fleming, uh, I would sure, because I'm sure they were reading each other's work. Uh, all the spy, I, I don't think you can make a spy movie today without not putting a nod to James Bond. I mean, James, look, look where we are. It's 2020, so... The first James Bond movie came out in 63, so it's 57 years later, which is just astonishing to me. But 57 years later, you've got this series, and uh, the, it came at the end of the Cold War. The, you know, the first, the first Bond movies were toward the end of the Cold War. Uh, actually, it's probably more in the middle of the Cold War, and everything owes, owes it to the Bond series. Um, but the Bond movies have changed quite a bit, too. I mean, they were a lot sexier back in the 60s. Now, the, the violence has increased and the sex quotient has dropped. Now, uh, Barbara Broccoli has taken over the mantle from her father, Albert R. Broccoli. And you know, having a woman in charge, although she works with her stepbrother, Michael Wilson, I think having a woman in charge has, um, well, kind of brought the Me Too generation into, uh, into the world of Bond a little bit. You know, I don't think he could get away with some of the things he ba did back in the 60s. In mm -hmm. fact, if you watch Goldfinger today, there are moments where uh, it, it wouldn't happen like that today. First of all, I don't know if you could get away with calling a girl pussy galore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Not at all. No, no not today. <laughs> Uh, one of my questions, just kind of bringing it back to, you know, your favorite Bond. Um, I know there was a couple years ago, Idris Elba, not, not, not to say that they consider him, but that was, that was someone that I guess the fans kind of wanted to see uh, become a Bond. Do you think he would, would have fit in the, in, in the Bond, I guess, genre per se? I like Idris Elba a lot. I think he's got a yeah. certain panache. Um, I think he would be great. I, I just don't know if you tamper with the franchise. Okay. You know, would a white guy play John Shaft? I don't think so. It's kind of one of those situations where, and you got to be very careful how you say this because you don't want to sound like a, a mm -hmm. racist, but there's certain things where, um, keeping it closer to the original idea. Now, th there was also a lot of talk this year about whether Bond would be a woman because the, yeah. uh, the actress who's playing uh, 007 in this next James Bond movie is a black woman. Uh, and she's, uh, from what I gather, she's really good, but she's not playing James Bond. She's playing 007 because in uh, this story we're about to see, hopefully in April, uh, James Bond is retired. He's gone off to Jamaica and is living there. You know, he's finally given it all up. So I think what happens is Felix Leiter comes to the island and he's drawn back into the latest caper. But uh, there was a lot of talk about whether Bond would be a woman. And I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. The irony of it is when James Bond first was published, the very first book, Casino Royale in 1952, 
The rights were taken up by a producer named Gregory Ratoff, who was under contract at 20th Century Fox. He brought it to the studio as a possible vehicle for Susan Hayward, who was a popular actress in the 1950s at Fox. So ironically, the Bond series could have opened up as a series with a woman. Thankfully, it didn't because that would have been a, I don't think that would have happened. But I think uh, getting back to Idris, uh, if he became James Bond tomorrow, I would be totally happy with that. I don't know. I just don't know what kind of reaction you would get everywhere else. I don't know. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to have an African American James Bond. Uh, I'm I'm up for it because we're living in the 21st century, not living in the 19th yeah. century. So to follow up yep. with that question, if not Idris, who would who would you like to see as the next the next James Bond? That's always the sixty-four thousand dollar question as to who's going to be the next Bond. The rumors are flying at the moment that Henry Henry um, Henry Superman. What's Henry's last Henry name? Henry Cavell. Henry Cavell is the latest yeah. front runner. Uh, I was watching a TV series just the other day called The uh, Night Manager, and the star of that uh, series is the same actor who plays Loki in the Thor movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll remember his name in a second, but he's he's got an interesting look. Although he's, I don't know how convincing it would be throwing a punch. I always felt that the key to Bond is if you hit if Bond hits you, you're down. You stay down. That's why Roger Moore never quite did it for me because Roger did a lot of kickboxing. You know, he would he'd be more apt to kick an assailant than punch him. Connery, you know, Connery punched somebody, they stayed down. And all, same with Daniel Craig. You know, they both have a good, a good right cross. Um, but um, I li- let's, who else do I like? Um, well, I'll tell you who I really like. And uh, I don't think he's a big enough name, although, you know, sometimes the lesser names get it. There's a TV series that ran on Cinemax for four or five seasons called Strike Back. I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's kind of an English-produced series with uh, kind of a Mission Impossible-type format. Two two, uh, agents uh, operate this secret within this secret British uh, operation that, you know, goes around the country and, you know, the world and deals with hotspots. And one of the actors is an Australian named Sullivan Stapleton, who I think would make a terrific James Bond. Um, That would be my choice. That's awesome, man. Well... Uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I just have one more question on my end. Um, how long do you think Bond can can go? How far? You know, it's already been, like you said, 57 years. How many more Bond films can there be? Well, it's a really good question. I, I, I joke with everybody in saying there's only three things certain in life, death, taxes, and James Bond. <laughs> and I'll tell you, if th- those rights ever become available, I'm jumping on them, man. The thing about the Bond movies is they've never, ever shot themselves in the foot. You know, they never brought out a dog. Even the the Bond movies I don't think are that great have great production values and have been successful. Um, I think they're not coming out as fast as we originally thought they would. I mean, having to wait six years for a new Bond movie is kind of ridiculous, but there have been issues and stuff. and, um, And they're family movies. At the core of a James Bond movie experience is their family movies. You know, there are no bare naked women. There's no F-bombs. So they've kept that brand very much intact all these decades. And I think whereas some series have gone off the rails in many ways, um, 
I think the Bond films have maintained a quality that will keep them going for as long as I think that movies will be made. You know, it, will there be 50 movies in 30, 40 years? And we're approaching, you know, uh, the 23rd century, 22nd century. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Ian Fleming only wrote, uh, I think he wrote uh, 12 novels and two sets of short stories. So they haven't been using Fleming novels since the 70s. So all these stories are originals pretty much, except for Casino Royale, which they finally rebooted in the proper way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, um, you know, James Bond is not a superhero. He's a flesh and blood secret agent fighting the hotspots of the world. There are always going to be hotspots and there's always going to be James Bond. Uh yeah, yeah, that that's that's one one thing that I was uh, thinking about earlier. How you said he's not a superhero, so I was thinking, as a fan, how would you like for him to go out? Obviously, you don't want him to get killed, but what would be the ideal? How to end the last James Bond film? What would be the best finish for you? If there was going to be in, <laughs> if an there, end. yeah, if it ever <laughs> ends. You know, but uh, I think you're right. I don't think I don't think they it, it's going to end anytime soon, though. Not for James not. Bond. If Bond yeah. has to die, it just has to be in bed after too much sex. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the way we all want to go, right? <laughs> that that would be a happy ending. That would be a happy ending. He's going to go out with a smile on his face. There you go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Well, Steve, um, it's, it's been awesome to have you on the show, man. We really do appreciate your time. But before we let you go, where can people find you? And more importantly, where can people find and, and get their, their hands on either a digital or whatever version of the encyclopedia you might have available? Well, I'm doing a special nod out to my friend, uh, Jeff Mantor. He has one of the great bookshops in Los Angeles. It's called uh, Larry Edmonds Movie Bookshop. And that's Edmonds spelled E-D-M-U-N-D-S. And they, if you go to their website, and you can pull Larry Edmonds Movie Bookshop off the website. They're going to offer the book. In fact, I'm doing a promotion where I'll sign the books once they get the orders. So that's one way of getting a signed book from me through Larry Edmonds. Um, I'm also uh, all over the web on Amazon, all the traditional book selling sites. And then, of course, if you have a bookstore in your neighborhood and you're apt to go outside and go to a store, which we're not doing much these days, uh, I'm sure you could find the book there. Um, I have a, a very uh, good presence on Facebook. Uh, I have a uh, Steve Rubin, R-U-B-I-N is my Facebook page. And then I also have a page called the James Bond Movie Encyclopedia. And two or three times a week, I published this day in James Bond movie history. And wow. um, like, for instance, today we're celebrating the birthday of, um, of, uh, <laughs> of course your mind's going to go blank. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin's ex-wife, what's her name? Blonde. Uh, she was in never say never again. Uh, she won an Academy award for LA confidential. And, uh, oh, you know, this is so embarrassing because I'm supposed to be the expert on Bond and I, and I can't. <laughs> it's even... okay. Just like Bond, you're human as well. Here we go. Here we go. It's, um, it's, uh, let's see. It is Kim Basinger. We're celebrating Kim Basinger's birthday today. And tomorrow, by the way, is Dame Judi Dench's birthday. And of course, she's been wonderful 
as the M character in the series. So anyways, on these, on these Facebook pages, I do it on Instagram. I do it on LinkedIn. Uh, basically I publish, uh, the, this day in James Bond movie history. Any upcoming projects before the end of the year or early 2021? Um, not really. I'm working like a, on a number of different film projects. We're trying to get traction for them, uh, across all genres. I've got a bunch of comedies, uh, I've got a couple of TV series ideas. Uh, it's, it's Hollywood's like in a crazy place right now. It's, you know, on the one hand, yeah. everybody wants content, but nobody's, everybody's afraid to pay for anything right now because nobody knows if the movie theaters are going to open up anytime soon. So, and the line at a, your local streamer to sell a, you know, sell a movie to Netflix must be a mile long. So it's a little more challenging, but I, I write every day and my writing partner and I currently, we meet in a park, you know, considering you can't be meeting in coffee shops anymore. So we, uh, we write in a park and uh, we're both wearing our masks and trying to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, Steve, we appreciate you joining us. We appreciate your time. This has been awesome. And again, thank you for the copy of, of the encyclopedia. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be fun going through it, especially, you know, having the chance to virtually meet you is, is pretty awesome. Knowing that, you know, who's the face behind these books basically. And, um, once again, the uh, James Bond Encyclopedia, you said, is now available. Uh, well, it's actually available through, through the – what was the website where they can get the, the, the autograph one? Yeah, Larry Edmonds Movie Bookshop. That's E-D-M-U-N-D-S in Hollywood. Uh, they have a website where they can ship it out to you. And, of course, if you just want to go through your regular Amazon or any other book sites, it's fine. And I want to take the time to wish you both a very happy holiday season. Thank happy you. you can make it. Thank you. Likewise. Yes, it's, it's, it's been a rough year and, and we're thankful that it's actually been a good year. I mean, look at us now. We're here in December talking to you and, yeah. and you know, healthy, which, which is a great thing. And um, also make sure you guys check out the movie, uh, My Suicide, which is available on Netflix. And once Correct. again, this has been a pleasure. James Bond movie expert, Stephen Rubin. Appreciate you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Bob.